0: voting day to the 61% of you who said they'll be voting early in our poll we popped up on the gram I should have asked if you're going to do it today today or if you're going to do it in the next two weeks but anyway you can now vote if you're in New Zealand, hot tip, google voting place near me NZ, and the Electoral Commission website with the little orange man pops up. It's the first search result. I know this because I did it myself. Uh, You just select where you are, bing, bang, bong, all the polling booths around you will show up. And there's heaps. I did it, and there were four within a 500-metre walk from work and two within one kilometre from my house. It's going to be too easy. Make sure you do it. Kia ora, this is Newsable, I'm Imogen, and this is what's worth talking about. We're heading across the ditch to get the latest information about that fatal mushroom lunch in Australia, and nearly 30 years later, someone's been charged with Tupac's murder. We're breaking down how we got here. We're also asking, is it time for the United Nations to rebrand? And I'll tell you about the dog that was caught driving in Slovakia. We've got all that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our Mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. It's now two months since three people died in a small town in Australia after eating a meal that contained poisonous mushrooms. Another person at that lunch has only recently been released from hospital. But despite that length of time, two months, there are still no answers about how the deadly fungi made its way into the beef wellington that was on the menu that day day. So to bring us up to date with what's going on, we're joined by Marta Pasquale Giannola who writes for the Age newspaper in Melbourne. Kia ora. Hello. Marta, it's been such a long time. H- have there been any developments from police? There's been only a couple of
1: developments that we've heard of. The first one you've mentioned in your introduction is the fact that one of the people that was present at the lunch, the only other survivor other than the cook that made the meal has now been released from hospital after spending seven weeks receiving care at the Austin Hospital in Melbourne, after he suffered liver failure after the meal. He's -hmm. the only person that fell seriously ill that has survived to date. So obviously he's a crucial part of what, what is to be the police case. So we know that he's been released from hospital and he's gone back to Karambara, which is the small tiny town about two hours south of Melbourne in like Gippsland which is the backdrop of this whole thing, essentially. Mm. So he's gone back home, his name is Ian Wilkinson, and he's the local pastor in the Baptist Church in Karumbara. So we know he's back at home, we know that he's recovering. What we don't know yet is if he has spoken to police yet about what went down at the mill, if he's been well enough. One would assume that being such a crucial part of the case, being the only Mm. person that was present there that can talk about it, they would have spoken to him as soon as they had the opportunity to do so. But police have remained very
0: tight-lipped about any kind of developments to do with their investigation. I'll just take this opportunity to remind everyone, including myself, who was present at that lunch. So Ian Wilkinson is the man who's been released from hospital. Uh, the lunch was hosted by Erin Patterson and At that lunch were Patterson's former in-laws, Gail and Don Patterson, along with Gail's sister, Heather Wilkinson, and it's Heather's husband, that is Ian. And then Erin Patterson, host of said lunch, her estranged husband could not attend at last minute. Circling back to where you left off, do we know how Ian is doing? Look, we know that he's
1: still receiving some level of support um, from healthcare providers while at home. So one would assume that after seven weeks in hospital and being in an induced coma for a number of those weeks, that he's still probably quite weak and not Mm -hmm. fully well. I, I don't believe he's left home much since he's been back. I think a lot of people have been sort of dropping in and sort of helping out. So... Something that might give us an indication as to where his health is at as well will be the fact that on Wednesday there's going to be a memorial service held in Karambara for ah. his wife, Heather. And so one would expect Ian to be present at that memorial, so that will
0: probably will be the first time that we'll be able to see him out and about if he does attend. Marta, why is everything taking so long and why are police being so mysterious about all of
1: this? I think it's a question that's on everyone's mind, including us as reporters following this case for for so long, is why is it taking so long to get some kind of resolution or even an update, really? And I think it just comes down to the fact that it's an extremely complex case in terms of getting the evidence necessary for charges to be laid or even to to get to a conviction at one stage. Mm. So obviously police have told us that Erin Patterson, the person that invited her family over and that cooked the meal, is the main suspect because she is the one that cooked the meal. But obviously there's a big question mark over how do you prove intent? in these circumstances. So Erin's obviously said that she purchased some of the mushrooms from a supermarket, the other ones from an Asian grocery, up to two months before the lunch. So she's saying like, look, I haven't done anything wrong. She's been very adamant that she is innocent. So mm-hmm. it is police's job, I guess, to figure out how to prove that if they wanted to charge Erin, that she did indeed cook that meal and that she knew what she was doing. And unless she did some kind of Google search uh, or anything else that could hint at intent, it's a really difficult thing to prove, and you only really get one chance
0: of prosecuting this properly. Marta Pasquale Janoleth, who writes for the Age newspaper in Melbourne, thank you very much for that update. Thank you for having me. In case you missed it, Consumer New Zealand took it upon itself to find our country's best salt and vinegar chip. Kettle and snack changi took out first place, but I want to know if you like salt and vinegar chippies because I hate them I'm a really salted gal through and through head to our Instagram page there'll be a poll up newsable NZ also if you're not a salt and vinny person let us know what your favourite chip is remember you can also email us your answers newsable at staff.co.nz Absolutely explosive news over the weekend an arrest over the murder of legendary rapper Tupac Shakur nearly 30 years after his death. But what was it that happened that suddenly led to action in this case so many years on? Well, producer Philippa has all the details that we want to know.
2: PT, who is the man arrested
0: in connection with Tupac's death?
2: So, the man who has now been indicted by a grand jury on account of murder with a deadly weapon in affiliation with a criminal gang is Dwayne Keffye D. Davis. The Clark County prosecutor is quoted in various media outlets saying the grand jury heard evidence in the case for several months and alleged that six-year-old Davis acted as the on-ground on-site commander who ordered the death of Tupac Shakur for the purpose of seeking retribution. And look, just a reminder about what actually happened Mm. nearly three decades ago. Tupac Shakur died after the car he was in was hit in a drive-by shooting, and that's according to the Guardian news outlet that says Tupac was gunned down in September 1996 after attending a Mike Tyson fight. The rapper was involved in a scuffle in the hotel lobby after the fight between members of the gang Tupac was associated with and another linked to Davis. Three hours later, while he was headed to an after-party in a convoy of about 10 cars, another car, said to be a Cadillac, pulled up next to Tupac's BMW at a red light and opened fire. He was shot four times and was just 25 when he died. Why has all of this taken so long? Well, look, one of the complicating factors is that so many of those involved in the case have been shot dead themselves, including a witness in one of the other cars in the convoy who said he could identify as those in the car carrying the shooters. But the investigations really seem to have been kick started in 2018, when, after a cancer diagnosis, Davis, a former leader of the South Side Compton Crips, admitted publicly in an interview to being inside the Cadillac during the attack. Mm. He implicated his nephew, and that interview is said to have reinvigorated the case. Davis's nephew denied involvement in the shooting, but was himself shot dead in 1998. It's very hard to keep up, but let's take a, a wider look
0: here. Remind us why Tupac is still as popular and influential today as he was then.
2: Look, he's generally regarded as a pivotal figure in the development of hip-hop. And when he died, his fourth solo album All Eyes on Me remained on the charts selling some 5 million copies. He was nominated six times for a Grammy award he's largely considered one of the most influential and versatile rappers of all time and just in June this year the rapper received a posthumous star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. All of this just blows my mind.
0: I promise you I'm about to tell you more about that driving dog in Europe but remember to chuck us a like and a follow on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on because it'll mean you get fresh apps delivered straight to your phone and you wouldn't ever want to miss out on a driving dog chat would you no you wouldn't The main annual meeting of the United Nations, the General Assembly, ended last week, but some of the big names were conspicuously absent. Russia's leader, Vladimir Putin, can't attend the gathering in New York as he would likely be arrested in connection with the war in Ukraine. Uh, Chinese leader Xi Jinping was also a no-show, although for no clear reason on that one. And the leaders of the UK and France sent stand-ins rather than attend in person. So, is this just a once-off, or are world leaders feeling the United Nations isn't as important as it once was? Well, joining us now to discuss is Colin Keating, a former New Zealand ambassador to the UN. Kia ora. Kia ora. Uh, is this a worry when leaders of nations on the Security Council decide it just isn't that important to turn up to the one big meeting of the year when pretty much everyone else turns up?
3: Yeah, well, I think it's important to look at it in a historical context. Firstly, I think that people don't remember that for most of the life of the United Nations, it was very rare for, for leaders to turn up at all. Normally, it would be either the ambassadors to the UN or occasionally foreign ministers. Now, since the end of the Cold War, it's become a little bit more common for leaders to turn up more often. But again, it's not always been the case. If you look back over the last 10 years and see how many times Vladimir Putin was there, not very many times. The Americans are conspicuous standouts in the sense that U.S. presidents have almost always turned up, partly because it's in their country and they want to be seen as the host country to be taking it seriously. So in that sense, I don't see the fact that they aren't here at the moment a problem if it weren't for the fact that there are a whole lot of other bad things going on.
0: Is this a sign that countries are less interested in a unified approach when it comes to international rules-based systems
3: and world world peace? I think it partly reflects that. It partly reflects a lot of uh, domestic pressures. You You mentioned China. The Chinese economy is in a very unusually poor state at the moment. Domestic problems in China are great. Vladimir Putin, of course, has got serious problems. But the UK and France have been ones who have always taken a very close interest in the UN. What we're seeing is that those kind of big jamboree type events are going a bit out of fashion and maybe they were already far too much tokenism anyway.
0: As a former ambassador to the UN, are you optimistic about the future of the UN?
3: look i'm worried about the future of the un i'm worried about the future of all the rules-based institutions that have been created in the aftermath of the second world war you know 80 million people died in the second world war and the reason that they decided to create a whole series of of global and regional organizations was to reduce the risk of that ever happening again i think after 80 years quite a lot of those institutions are really creaking at the seams. They were sort of fit for purpose in 1945, but the world is very, very different now. They need a radical overhaul. And that might be another reason why people are basically sucking it and seeing it at the moment, because they all know that there's got to be a major reset of the system, the international global system for peace and security and development and human rights But they also know that can't happen while the war in Ukraine is still going on and while there's such estrangement in Europe and increasingly in Asia as well. So it's going to require a more comfortable window of opportunity. And maybe a lot of leaders are saying, well, let's just wait until things are a bit calmer before we try and make a reset.
0: Colin Keating, thank you so much for your time.
3: Fascinating to think about what the future of the UN could look like well it's my pleasure and I'm uh, happy to help again anytime
2: if you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead the long read from stuff is the podcast for you each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime sport history culture and more you also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Brilliant headline alert. Police in Slovakia find car owner whose dog was behind the wheel. Obviously, I clicked on this one. So speed camera photo has been posted to Facebook, which appears to show a dog smiling in the driving seat of a Skoda. It looks like it knows it should not be there. The car owner was then contacted naturally after this got picked up, and he insists that the pet suddenly leapt into his lap. But Officers in the village of Sturuzi, I believe is how it's pronounced, said footage showed this was not the case. There was no sudden movements in the car. So the dog was in the driving seat for a very long period of time, is what they're insinuating. The driver has been fined for having Smiling Dog sitting by driving wheel. Driving wheel? steering wheel. But this is a great line from the BBC article It's not clear if the fine issued to the owner, rather than the dog, was for speeding or failing to secure the pet in a moving vehicle. So there's a lot of questions that need to be answered about this. Uh, Police have appealed to drivers to secure their pets safely when driving. Bean, I hope you're listening. Sorry buddy, time's up You're no longer jumping around our car Uh, On that note, that's Newsable for today. I'm Imogen Wells. Have a good one This pod took time and resources to produce. Please support our Mahi and visit stuff.co.nzslash support.